Hey, what's going on, everybody? This your boy, Jay Mace, a.k.a. Jarrell Mason. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers. Why are they here to be celebrated? With me, I have a man that's no stranger to Beyond the Album Cover. We've been knowing each other since our days in the 336 in Greensboro. Shout out to the 336 crew. You know who you are that have been rolling with us, rocking with us. And he's your favorite DJ's DJ by seeing his edits being used by some heavy hitters. Not no one club DJ, but people with worldwide acclaim. And he just started a Patreon page that you can go donate them coins if you love those edits. If you're a DJ or if you're a music head, be sure to give this man his credit, though. My brother, B-Man. B-Man, what's going on, bro? Welcome back. What's going on, Jay Mace? What's going on, brother? Man, not much, man. I'm trying to get like you, man. You know, your favorite DJ, <laughs> DJ. <laughs> Got the Patreon. Let's just go and jump right into the Patreon. Uh, what led you to create yeah. the Patreon? Um, Well, I was doing all of these edits. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, we had a lot of time to sit back and think and reflect. At that time, you know, there was really no money coming in, especially for us DJs. So when I started doing these edits, it kind of gained some attention and everybody was dming me man how can i get that how can i get that video how can i get that mp3 is it a file and i'm like you know what let's make these into files and actually sell them why not the djs want them they're tools for djs and i see other djs doing it so why not why not yeah. dive into it yeah, throw, you, throw your hat in the ring. And like I said, it's garnered acclaim and attention because you just recently posted sure. a video where you did one of your edits going from Sugar Hill Games Apache into Master P, mm-hmm. make them say, uh, and the club goer had to stop and do a double tape because she was just as shocked at how clean and tight your edit was and how it just flowed seamlessly. Now, where did your preciseness in the editing technique come from with knowing when to put transitions in and not to lose the floor? Oh, man, um, that's I have to give credit to my band teacher, uh, Dominique Stevens. Um, actually, I always love music, number one, but the structure of music, I learned that in band. So I always attribute that to him, Dominique Stevens, my band teacher, song structure. Um, and then also another guy that I came up under named Bobby Guy. They taught me structure, music. Um, there's another guy who does edits as well, who's super dope that taught me a lot. His name is DJ Swift. And um, yeah, I took all of those three and, you know, a little bit of what I know and mixed it all together and you got, voila. Yeah, and if you want to support that, go to Patreon. Give them the Patreon website again. It's www.patreon.com backslash just J-U-S-T B-Man, B as in boy, B-M-A-N, no DJ. So, www.patreon.com backslash just be man no dj we're going to be plugging that website heavy throughout the interview may become your favorite drinking game whether it's an alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage every time we say patreon you take a (laughs) drink of coke pepsi this buzz for you miller light whatever drink of your choice and if you say the whole website you're down the whole bottle okay so yeah. the main reason why i got my brother b-man on is um i did a facebook post not too long ago asking people to give me their top five producers and i was Ooh. looking at my top five and your top five prior to the interview and pretty much three out of our five matches 
with the exception of two, I'm going to go with my five. And then I believe I'm going to recap your five. And you can let me know if I got sure. the order correct or not. So my five, sure. Teddy Riley, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, L.A. and Babyface, Dr. Dre, Neptunes. <laughs> those are my five. And then your five, I believe, number one, Q, Quincy Jones. Number two, correct. Teddy Riley. Number three mm-hmm. would be Neptunes. Or, yes. Yes. Number four, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and number five, mm-hmm. Battle Cat, out of the West Coast. Yep. All right. Yep. Yep. That is your five. So let's go ahead and let's break down each individual five piece by piece. So we both have Teddy on our list, and I'll start with you first yeah. since uh, you're the guest. So let's talk about Mister Yep. Yep. It's Teddy, ready with the one-two checker himself, Mister New Jack Swing. I'm, listen, man, Teddy for me was the michael jordan especially being from virginia teddy's not necessarily from virginia but we all know he had future recording studios in virginia now if you ever been to virginia you know there's not it's not a lot there um besides virginia beach so i actually had the privilege to visit future recording studios the day it burned down how crazy is that you lucky um yeah so i mean teddy riley man I always tell people he has the best remix, my favorite remix of all time. Um, Jane Child, I Don't Want to Fall in Love, is my favorite remix of all time. That song alone changed my perspective of music and how music is supposed to, as a producer, you're supposed to keep the listener's attention. You know, throughout that song, it sounds the same, but there's little intricate things that he adds, takes away. He's, I mean, Teddy... For God's sakes, man, that man started a whole genre of music, like a whole different genre of music. You know what I mean? So, I mean, from him going to do the show, to go see the doctor, to I like, to remember the time. I mean, the list goes on to Tammy Lucas, SWV, then Birth in the Neptunes and and, and Rodney Jerkins. Um I mean, that guy's just gifted, man. It's a lot of talented people in the world, but Teddy is gifted. Gifted. Yeah, yeah. A, a musical genius, you know, started off playing in the church, and he was in the band. I think it was, uh, I, I don't want to screw the ba- band's name up, but it was him, Keith Sweat, and um, it was where he was playing a dice game with Keith. And Keith was like, yo, let me get some of the beats that you're doing for Heavy D and the other acts that he was working on at the time. Because you got to remember, people, this is pre-87, 86. R&B and rap was far apart and didn't come to the middle until Make It Last Forever and then later in 88, Guy's debut album. And how those two albums are on the Mount Rushmore of New Jack Swing along with in effect mode, I'll be sure. We're going to talk about Mr. Break It Down himself later on the show, who I had the <laughs> chance to interview, and you can catch that wherever you stream and also on YouTube. Okay. But um, yeah. while we uh, mentioned Teddy Riley, I do want to note that we did lose someone in the Teddy Riley camp was part of the production, songwriting on every Teddy Riley record. If you go look at his credits, this man was a bad man in terms of songwriting, production, musician, uh, talking about the late Bernard Bell. So can we talk about the greatness of Bernard Bell? Wow, he passed away? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, Bernard Bell passed away. Wow, I had no idea. Wow. 
Yeah, so let's talk about Bernard Bell. Yeah, let's talk about Bernard Bell, who, for some of you that don't know, brother of uh, Regina Bell. Yep. Hey, I'm going to let you hold this part. All right, so Bernard Bell, (laughs) like like I said earlier, secret sauce to a lot of Teddy's work. If you look at I Like the Way, High Five, Work on Dangerous, and so on and so forth, Bernard was the secret key that made Teddy's stuff shine and glisten. And of course he got to start playing, I believe with the Manhattans because his sister Regina was singing with them before she ended up getting her solo deal. And also I believe he was eventually, he was originally one of the members in Today, but then left to focus on the behind the scenes stuff. So shout out to, you know, Big Bub, who was no slouch himself songwriting wise production wise you know but but teddy man like i said 1988 guy self-titled debut album you can put on that album from front to finish play it all the way through and just to hear how within that one album r&b changed and you want to hear something crazy so um I believe my dad owned that tape. And I think that's how I got acquainted with Guy. Um, I knew it was a white tape. And at the time, I think it was kind of old because I think that was in 92 when I discovered Guy, the first album. Um, The first song that spoke to me was Teddy's Jam. I had never heard anything like that. Teddy Jam 1. I mean, to hear instrumental and Aaron Hall just basically doing a scatting all over it, I had never heard anything like that in my... I mean, I hadn't been born long. I was only three years old, but I always gravitated towards Teddy Jam. That was like my favorite... To this day, I mean, when I hear Teddy's Jam, it just... It moves me, man. Teddy's Jam. And and to think about the equipment and technology that they had to make that stuff at that time incredible man yeah definitely diy do it yourself that album was made in the saint nicholas projects where teddy was living at the time and how the shower was the vocal booth and you just had to make do what you had because you didn't have the money for the studio time unless someone fronted you the money or you just stacked and saved stacked and saved to have your studio time and either you had everything already laid out at your home studio and by the time you got to the big studio you were ready to go. But for me, the standout track on the debut album, Peace of My Love. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I rewinded a couple of times to see if Aaron said, dumb, you know what? And I almost yeah. broke the tape <laughs> trying trying to see if he said it. You but, know, um, Teddy Riley exposed that like a couple of days ago. He did an interview with Vlad and he, he goes over it. He really doesn't say it. But we thought he said that, yeah, for years. Yeah, like I said, I nearly broke the tape trying to decipher whether or not Aaron said that. But um And you know, go ahead. Another another jam oh not to interrupt you. No, go another ahead. jam off that album that spoke to me was it wasn't a radio record, but you can call me crazy. Love that song, man. And the crazy part to hear now that it's it's Timmy Gatlin, but he quit mid song. So if you listen to that record, you can hear I'll Be Sure a lot on that record because Timmy Gatlin basically came in one day and was like, while they were recording the song and said, hey, 
guys, good luck. I'm leaving the group. Right. Yeah, which is crazy. And I had a chance to interview Timmy Gatlin, and he explained why he left Guy. It was some behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, with his decision mm-hmm. to leave, and that's how Damien came into the group. And then sure. as far as with Al B., on the backing vocals for You Can Call Me Crazy, I asked Kyle West this when I interviewed him about that, and he was saying that um, Al B, I believe that cut was originally intended to go on in effect mode, but what ended up yep. happening was, I guess, Gene or somebody at MCA decided to Correct. keep the record for Guy, and then just left Al B on the backing vocals. Correct. From my understanding, and, and uh, Teddy was talking about that too, Gene and Al B sure had a falling out. So that's why that song is on the guy album instead of in effect mode. Because as you know, Gene was the muscle for Teddy Riley. Mm, he was definitely one of those dudes that wasn't to be played with him. Oh, the, yeah. the late Dick Griffey over at Solar. They were the guys that they didn't make he certain was a people Knight. comfortable, if you know what I mean. But Suge Knight, he was up under Dick Griffey because Solar helped launch Death Row. Correct. Correct. That's crazy, right? Yeah, dangling folks out the balcony. Let me up, let me up, let me up. But it was a little, it was a little, little bit more than that, though. If you've seen the All Eyes on Me and Stroud of Compton, you knew Death Row. It was it was something serious over there that uh, if you weren't of the wrong uh, color, shall you say, that you will get sure. violated. Rest in peace, uh, Chris Lighty, um, violators. Um, but let me go to your number one. This person, sure. it was hard for me to leave this man out. He's in my top, sure. my top ten, top twenty. I mean, Q, Quincy Jones. I mean, what more can yeah. be said about this man who spanned decades? I mean, he worked with jazz greats, pop greats, R and B greats, and he's still around and kicking. And I hope people are really cherishing him. Barry Gordy, Smokey Robinson. All of our legends that's still here and we just recently Correct. lost lamont dozier of holland dozier holland of motown mm-hmm. and um you know like i said i just hope people appreciate quincy jones why he's still here and the breadth of, of the work that he's done for decades sure. talk about quincy. Sure. quincy for me i mean man you gotta go for, i mean i think his first record was it's my party that was his first record then you work with ray charles i mean then you do the Wiz. Michael Jackson, I mean, that's probably his most notable act. Um, Tevin Campbell, I mean, Albie Shore, Herb Albert. I mean, everybody you can name, this is like the godfather of black music to me. Like Clarence Avon, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta include Q, man. Q is one of the greats, like a ear like no other. and. I, Let's be honest, how many uh, black producers that we know can direct a band, like an orchestra? Not too many. Right, definitely not too many. And the one thing about Quincy that I appreciated was this was at a time when a lot of the peers of his era looked down on rap. They turned their nose up at it. But when he put out Black Back on the Block, he embraced rap. He brought an iced tea Cool Mo D, Big Daddy Kane to collaborate with legends like Ella Fitzgerald and others and how he was able to bridge the gap between the generations and say, hey, this is no different 
than what we were doing back in the day, but it's just a new sound for a new generation. And I mean, even look at like we're gonna bounce off of uh our first choice, which was Teddy Riley. Um Teddy Riley brought I mean, Quincy brought in Teddy Riley for the dangerous album because at that time him and Michael weren't seeing eye to eye. So in my eyes, Teddy was already doing stuff. Teddy was doing his thing, but Quincy kind of put him on. Dangerous to me changed Teddy Riley as a producer. Like it it amplified what he was doing. He was already there, but when he did Dangerous, that just took him to another level. Yeah, because if you go and listen from Bad, which was out in 87, Dangerous, which came out in 91. So four years, he brought Michael Jackson from a outdated sound to what was current. And I think Michael recognized that he needed that. And I, and I felt the seed was planted for him and Teddy to work together was when the Jacksons did the 2300 Jackson Street album. How in the world was she not released as a single? I mean, Randy, sadly, that Randy and the Gypsies album was criminally underrated and should have gotten more pub. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, definitely sh should have got more pub. And, um, you know, off the wall, I still look at that as Michael's masterpiece for me. That's the album me, I can listen front and back. Hey, listen, I always tell people, I mean, I think the correct default answer, people are going to say Thriller. Thriller. Thriller's great. It's great. But off the wall for me, I can't help it alone is one of my favorite records of all time mm. um off the wall from beginning to end i mean girlfriend don't stop till you get enough you got all these great records to me thriller was great because of billy jean which you have uh the girl is mine human nature pyt it has some great stuff on it but it, it was not off the wall yeah because we knew with off the wall that it was an album that was so R&B at its best. But when Off right. The Wall didn't get that crossover appeal that Michael wanted, he knew with this next album, it's pop all the way. Pop, 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 right. pop. And as we saw, it broke the color barrier over at MTV, which paved the way right. for other Black artists to get on MTV. And, uh, and there's a video going around on, I believe, TikTok, where somebody took Michael's vocals from Thriller showed them deconstructed. He did about four or five different takes of the vocals in Thriller and stacked them all together to create the backgrounds. I mean... Man, listen, I actually have the the multi-track sessions from Thriller. So I have that stuff. And I mean, it's so many tracks because literally you get... It's basically like wave files, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's like 48 tracks, some of those songs. And it's just like... 20 of them will be background vocals. You know what I mean? It's not even a lead vocal. And then you got stuff that didn't make it, that they cut out, and it's still in there. It's amazing to hear, man. Like that, Michael was another level. Yeah. Another level, bro. Yeah, Mike, Michael was a, was a bad boy. And another person that was a bad boy, and everybody wanted to pit him against Michael, but he was in his own lane. <laughs> and then you know who I'm going with. And I know now that with. I'm older, the I really appreciate yes, sir. I appreciate him more so as an artist and what he was doing on the business end and really empowering artists. Hey, do it yourself. Do it yourself. 
do it yourself. Um, let's talk about Prince, and then we're gonna dovetail that into my number two, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Okay. Um, for me, Prince, man, another one. I, I should have put him on the list, but I'm like, I love Prince, but I only know certain records. I wouldn't say he's he's great at what he does, and I'm not taking anything away from him. But I don't know his catalog that deep. Mm. I know it to a certain degree. But the stuff that he did with Vanity, I mean, Tevin Campbell, the family, oh my God, Screams of Passion. One of them, I don't know if you know that record. Oh, of course, of I got I got the vinyl. Songs. I got the vinyl. Okay, all right, all right, yeah, all right. Yeah, and you know there's a version on YouTube where Prince does it himself before cutting it yep. for the family. I'm like, oh, Prince should have kept this one for himself. But thankfully, he took back Kiss from that was originally supposed to be for I believe Maserati. Maserati did it, and then I guess yep. he heard their version. He was like, Nah, I'm gonna take it back, rework it, do it for me, and it became a big hit. I mean, man, Prince. If I always tell people, and it's always awkward saying this, my favorite record from Prince is probably "If I Was Your Girlfriend." That whole uh, alter ego that he had called Cam- named Camille, Camille. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. That was pure genius, man. Like, I mean, you could do that with technology today, but at that time, I mean, what he was doing was another level bro writing it producing it arranging it amazing man like another level self-contained the man was literally eat sleep breathe music and everybody else around him was expected to be nothing but eat sleep and breathe music and with jimmy and terry who were in the time and how i think for me kind of felt maybe stifled because when you're in that type of band and you have the guy who pretty much essentially created a feeder act to get all this extra content out and pretty much have the vocal guys and everything say play it to this note sing it this way there's really no room for you to really grow and Jimmy and Terry really was able to blossom once they got fired outside of the time and was allowed to go over to uh, work at Taboo with North Carolina native Climax North Carolina, uh, Clarence Avon and Taboo and work with SOS Band and of course, Alexander O'Neill, Jarrell, Janet, New Edition, and the list goes on and on. Yeah. I mean, we're on Jimmy Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis right now, right? Yes, sir. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Now, here's the funny thing. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were like the originators to me, right? But I always have a tie with Babyface in L.A. Because they're so similar. Babyface in L.A. just came later on in life, right? To me. Mm. And every time I mention Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, I immediately think of L.A. and Babyface. Because their sound is so similar. Mm. But... If I had to give it to one of the two, I would definitely roll with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I mean, because listening to those records, for God's sakes, they did Encore by Cheryl Lynn. I didn't know that until like three years ago. I'm like, wait, they did this? Wow, that that's so crazy with their catalog. I say the only difference to me between Ellie and Face and Jam and Lewis, Jam and Lewis 
were a little bit more funk based and Correct. LA and Face, they had that pop sheen. But just recently, I listened to LA Reed's interview on Quest Love Supreme, which was great, by the way, through mm-hmm. Carter, and how he said yep. the deal was heavily influenced by Prince. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look at the hair. You look at the hair alone. <laughs> the hair alone with all that moisture. Of course. Mm-hmm. Prince was the only one taking, yeah, I mean, leaps of faith with the dressing, the hair, the tights, the heels. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was a thing for R&B groups at that time to dress like a woman. It's, it's really weird to look at it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, the androgynous look was very much in, but that just goes to show you how deep Prince influence ran. You know, we mentioned the deal, you know, ready for the world, the yeah. Jets, uh, pretty much any R&B act that was out pretty much in the mid 80s had to be somewhat influenced in either indirectly or directly by Prince, either directly or by association. Yeah. And I didn't, I, crazily enough, off topic, I didn't know that Rick James and Prince didn't really like each other either. Ooh, did you see Rick James' documentary? I seen a little bit of it. I seen a little bit of it, yes. But but man, I could kind of see where Rick was coming from, though, because Rick looked at Prince, the young gun, was like, he's doing the exact same thing I'm doing. He's opening for me, and it's like, uh-oh, this kid's coming. He coming for that number yeah. one spot. Kind of like in Purple yeah. Rain, Morris Day in the Time was coming for the revolution. So I think yep. Rick saw Prince as a threat. Correct. Correct. Nah. Plugging microphones and saying, forget your couch and <laughs> all that stuff. So yeah, Rick was a wild Rick, boy, but was bad. He was a bad boy bad too. Boy. Yes, sir. Production wise, yeah, man. Yeah, Rick was a bad boy. But back to Jam and Lewis, I mean... If it isn't love, Cheryl Lynn, Encore. I mean, there's so many records. One of my favorite records, Usher Records, he has a record called Venus versus Mars. It was on the Usher, what's that album called? Usher versus Raymond? Something, Usher versus something. And I had no idea that Jam and Lewis did it. This is like 2009. Mm. And it's incredible, bro. Like the production, their production. I always tell people when you listen to Jam and Lewis, it's it's so many texture, so many layers and texture. Like it could be one sound, and they they explain if you listen to the um, Quest Love interview, they use uh, Oberheim keyboards, which were these heavy synthesizers. But if you play them now, the sounds are so thick, and I always wondered how they were getting that sound like if you listen to their records they sound really big it was because of the sounds that they chose and they and they always started out with uh you know preset sounds it wasn't like everybody else trying to make custom sounds they're like oh we're going to start with a good sound a good sound and we're going to make an incredible record so so they just use what was available in the stock exactly exactly Oh man, that's crazy. But my favorite Jim Jam and Terry Lewis record, man, there's so many records to choose from. My favorite record, if it isn't love, and then my favorite remix or mix that he did was this was on the control remixes album. The nasty cool summer mix. 
I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that mix so dope, so crazy. And actually, I believe they said in their interview with Red Bull Music Academy that it was because of that mix that what had George Michael called him like, hey, I need you to do something similar like that for me. And that's how they did the remix for Monkey. Yep. I mean, man, so many records. I, I mean, Saturday Love, that alone incredible record bro the stuff that they did with alexander o'neill to me is like top notch bro if you listen to they 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 were what the neptunes are to kelly calice to alexander o'neill like Mm -hmm. alexander o'neill without jamming lewis i mean he was still dope but they just they had the chemistry man like Mm -hmm. That magic. Oh, man. I mean, if you listen to Alexander O'Neill's debut album, then follow it up with the Hearsay album. I mean, for Hearsay to be a Correct. conceptual album to where each skit led perfectly into the song, I felt nobody can sequence an album better than Jimmy yeah. Jam and Terry Lewis. I mean, look yeah. at the Heartbreak album, my favorite album of all time. They have the intro and the close it to Boyce Men. They were able to tell a story within an Correct. album. And everything lined Correct. up so perfect in the way that within that album, they slowly brought Johnny in. And I didn't notice until they were shooting the miniseries for New Edition that it was intentional that Johnny wasn't on If It Isn't Love because they wanted to keep that old New Edition sound. And then by the time You're Not My Kind of Girl and any heartbreak can't stand the rain came around, then you would just... Johnny will punch you in the mouth with those strong vocals. Yep. I didn't know that, but wow, that that's incredible. Smart yeah, thinking. Right. And the reason why I like it, it is in love as my favorite Jim Lewis single is just because it's very bright, very big, very poppy. And they were able to bring that shine out of Ralph's voice and have Ronnie, Ricky, Mike, and Johnny blend in seamlessly and the song just worked so well with the choreography that was whipped up by Mr. Brooke Payne. And, yep. you know, still to this day, if you go to a new edition show, they're going to perform that record. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. I mean, that's one of their greatest vocally produced records of all time to me. Like, to get everybody to sing on that record, like you said, Ralph's voice was the lead. But you can hear everybody's voice. If you put on a pair of headphones, you can hear everything. And that record is so, once again, big. If you listen to it, the kick stands out. The, the conga, whatever, the cowbell. Everything has space. It's, that record is amazing. Right. Hands down. Right, so can you talk about that skill really quick about spacing out layers and songs to where not everything is being clumped on top of each other and it sounds clunky, but you're giving everything time to breathe from the instrumentation to the vocals? Um, that's something I'm actually working on when I do edits and remixes and stuff. Um, and I, I, I think the person who taught me that, he wasn't in my top five, but if you talk to me, my top five will change every day, <laughs> to be honest. Um, Dr. Dre, like when I heard the Chronic album and I heard him pan people talking in the left ear and then you got stuff going on in the right ear and then the kick is right here. 
I mean, it just makes the song that much better. And if you listen, they don't really do it as much now. Um, I think the last album that I heard where I heard great panning and spacing was like um, a Kendrick Lamar album, like To Pimp a Butterfly. You'll hear a lot of spacing. And it makes the record that much bigger. If you can put on a pair of AirPods or headphones and hear everything going in certain directions, but it all comes together to make one song incredible, man. Mm-hmm. And I think that's needed. That That's what makes records great. And if you listen to, like, If It Isn't Love, you hear stuff pan. You hear the synth over here. You hear the kick right here. You hear the snare over there. You hear the vocals right here. You know what I mean? That's what makes a great record to me. If you can have all those elements, they just become textures. And we talked about these guys briefly when mentioned Jam and Lewis, but we're going to go more in depth, talk about L.A. Reid and uh, Babyface. Ken of Babyface. Sure. Sure. Um, Babyface and L.A., I mean, bro. To me, they ran the late 80s. Like, if you look at the late 80s, they were like the new Jam and Lewis. I mean, they literally... I don't want to say copy, but they they even said it themselves. They basically modeled their sound after them. It was just a little bit more poppy. Um, the sound was a little bit less thin, um, but the records were great. Like "Rock Steady" by The Whispers. What? Jam and Lewis. Jam and Lewis. Um, I mean the Bobby Brown. Don't be cruel. Um, Roni. All these records of Babyface in LA. Right. And to think that LA almost didn't let Babyface in the deal because he thought, like, man, this dude's corny. But man, he could yeah. write his behind off. Right, correct. Yeah, Babyface is a whole nother animal, man. I mean, that's one of the greats that's still alive as well. Like, and I think we've seen that with the versus him versus Teddy. Like that dude is a musical genius, bro. Right. Musical genius. Yeah. Cause I never realized it until he kind of threw shade at Teddy said, I don't have to do remixes. I'm like, you know what? Babyface never did a remix. Yeah. I, I, I can't name a remix that Babyface did. That's true. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And, you know, to hear that some of those records that he did were already in the chamber, you know, before coming out. I mean, can we talk? I'm ready. Those records were years old, prizing them, touching to whoever was assigned to do those records. And go ahead. Let's let's talk about that. Right. I know today in the party market, a lot of DJs are starting to play. Can we talk? By Tevin Campbell. That's like the new thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. What between Can We Talk and I'm Ready? What's your favorite? I'm gonna tell you my favorite, right? Mm-hmm. My favorite is I'm Ready. I think that's to me, that's like Tevin's top five song. I, I always like I'm Ready over Can We Talk. Mm-hmm. I well, like Can We Talk, it's great. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna go with Can We Talk. My all-time okay. favorite Tevin record is Alone With You, by far. Okay. Alone With You, by far, is my favorite Tevin record. And speaking of which, um, Tevin Campbell was brought on stage 
to Usher's Vegas show just recently, and he mm-hmm. did Can We Talk? And I believe both him and L.A. Reid in their separate Questlove Supreme interviews addressed the rumor that had been going around that Can We Talk was originally for Usher. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah, which I felt that that album, Usher's debut, doesn't get enough talk like it should. Everybody looks oh, at my way as the debut, but no, um, no, the debut album in '94. I mean, that rec- that, that album was. Ooh, I mean, you had I'll Be Sure, Cal West, Devontae, um, Diddy, Diddy, and I believe some of the other producers from uh, the Hitman were on on that album, right? They did production, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, but I think the problem with that album for Usher was the material didn't fit the look and the age for Usher. And I think he really found his groove once he got with JD and then put out what he later put out with My Way. Sure. Yeah, nah. Think of you as like one of my favorite 90s R&B records that I feel like a lot, a lot of people don't know it. Some people know it, but it's not like... If Usher does a concert, he's not going to perform Think of You. But Think of mm-hmm. You is like my joint. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. But my favorite Usher record is an album cut off the debut. Don't nobody talk about Whispers. Okay. Okay. I believe See, that. Was, I got to go think, back. At, yeah, I think that one was produced by Devontae. Okay. And then he had what? Can You Get With It? Can You Get With It? And then um, The Many Ways, which when I listen to it, to me, sounded like a Tevin Campbell throwaway. Probably, probably, man, probably. Oh, off topic, man. Did you see yesterday? Um, Jason Weaver, who has a dope first album too. Mm. His album is now available for streaming on yo, iTunes. Yo, it wasn't the, available. Yo, the, the Love Ambition album is is now streaming. Yeah, you can stream it now. Oh, yo, Jason Weaver. I always felt. Should have never got his flowers. Bigger singing career, dog. I mean, take some of the cuts Tevin Campbell did, like early Tevin Campbell, like Goodbye and all that stuff. I could easily hear Jason Weaver on that. I think people just overshadowed Jason Weaver with his big success acting, of course, with the Jacksons, Mm -hmm. American Dreams, Smart Guys, Summertime Switch, Drumline, as to where when he did the vocals on One Call Away for Chingy, everybody looked at it as a throwaway, but none. Jason Weaver is is legit. Go listen to that Love Ambition album, and you'll see Correct. why. Love Ambition, I can't stop the pain, man. That album is incredible. Right. Yeah, that's one yeah. of my favorites. Yeah, and he's still eating off them Lion King checks though. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> hey, man, he gotta get with that. yeah, gotta get props to his mom for negotiating that deal with this. He said, "Hey, we gonna get this off the back end." not get off the front. Sure. And as you can see, he's Birdman hand rubbing every time he gets those Lion King checks and he's on the shot right now, definitely doing his thing. And also you can go to YouTube and catch my throwback interview with Jason Weaver. And he talks about how he auditioned for the Jacksons and Smart Guy and the Love Ambition album. Definitely check that out. And right now we are going to still stay on LA and Babyface real quick because All right, cool. here's why. You mentioned Don't Be Cruel. And how right. that album, best-selling album of 1989, the album went diamond. For those of you that don't know what diamond is, that's 10 million copies sold. And how Bobby Brown became a worldwide superstar because King of Stage, the first album, didn't really do anything for Bobby. But it wasn't right. until Don't Be Cruel 
that everything just lined up. And I think what Ellie and Babyface did so well was with Bobby was that they were able to merge the street and the suite and put it together and it became an irresistible combination. Because if you listen to the Don't Be Cruel album, Bobby has, he's hip hop appeal, but in just an yep. R&B outfit. Mm-hmm. Correct. Bobby at that time, I would say was a Chris Brown. He was he was Chris Brown in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you look at the lineage from him, Usher, Chris Brown, Omarion. Those guys no. were directly influenced by Bobby. Correct, correct. Yeah, Bobby was a bad boy. Yeah, bad man indeed. And then what they did with LaFace. I mean, you took Atlanta, Georgia, made it a hotbed for music. Yeah. And if it wasn't for LaFace Records, no Outkast, no Giddy Mob, no TLC, no Tony Braxton, yep. no Usher. Yep. The list goes on and on, all the acts that came through the doors of LaFace and how... We wouldn't have known them had Ellie and Babyface, along with Pebbles, decided right. not to set up shop in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. Nah. You know what my dream was at that time? And that on my podcast, I asked somebody who actually got to go. I always wanted to go to the office of offices of LaFace. And he was like, Man, uh JC, who's a who's he was Ludacris's DJ, he was talking about, he was like, Man, if you ever seen Boomerang how they walked in the office he was like that's how the face was i'm like wow he was like yeah i used to go there they had the prettiest chicks it was just amazing to go to the face at that time when it was hot i mean this was when atlanta was atlanta i mean the face was blowing up so so deaf jd was blowing up crisscross another bad creation speaking of crisscross yep. a little sidebar let's talk real quick about dj nabs i didn't know this until recently that he had ties to the Bull City before going down to Atlanta, and then there's an yeah. air there's an air check from '85. It was he was a DJ on the late Wax Master Tory's um, Magic Music Showcase show on WKNC Magic 88, which mm-hmm. was NC State's radio station. And mm-hmm. how like he was on the scratch. I'm like, yo, this right here it's dope stuff and also i want to send a shout out as well to uh dj sound machine i mean if, yep. if you live in the triad and around raleigh durham you definitely know who dj sound machine is and i found an air check from 87 of sound machine and wax Tory on wfxc foxy 107 before they flipped to urban ac it was at the time when they were competing with ken 97 so i just want to send a shout out to dj sound machine and hopefully we can have him as a guest on beyond the album cover in the future but um back to the subject at hand um let's talk about dr dre since i quoted none but a g thing let's talk about the dre and his impact man dr dre i mean he's sonically i don't think there's too many people when it comes to mixing a record and making it sound big, I don't think anybody's really messing with Dre. Um, Dre is, I mean, one of the greats. When it comes to sound, you put these things on, you listen to a record that's on the radio, and you put it on a Dre record. Once again, the dynamics and panning to the left and the right, Dre is on a whole different level. 
Like, I think I look at Dre, I don't even look at him as a rapper anymore. It's more so an engineer, a producer, um, because what he does sonically, another level. I mean, you got, jeez, Michelle A, Easy E, Kendrick Lamar, NWA, uh, MC Ren, uh, the DOC, Snoop, Eminem, uh, Truth Hurts. I mean, the list go. I mean, even down to Eve, Rakim. So many records he's done. And if you listen to him, Scott Storch, Mailman. I mean, so many records he's done and artists that he's worked with. He's on another level, man. Right, because at the Super Bowl halftime show, I know sonically, audio, and visually, it was created with his ear and his eyes and mind and how for you and I, who were little kids when the chronic came out and to see that halftime show, for me, I felt like it was a banner moment, you know, because who would have thought on the Super Bowl stage, we'll see folks wearing all blue and possibly sea walking. Yep. (laughs) You know what? Chronic, the chronic was the first album I seen a bootleg tape of. This is back in the day when they used to sell bootleg cassette tapes. I remember we went to a flea market and my cousin <laughs> <laughs> bought the chronic on on uh, a bootleg. And I was like, why does, why does the cover look like that? It was bootleg. But the chronic at that time, I mean, Doggy Style to me is one of the best mixed hip hop albums of all time. If you listen to the chronic, I mean not the chronic, doggy style, man, he just took it up a notch. The chronic is as clear as stuff that comes out today. And they didn't have the technology that we had today. Chronic 2001, I mean, Dre was on a whole nother level. That dude does nothing but get better and better and better and better sonically. To the point, I don't know if there's anything else he can do to sound even better than what he already sounds. I mean, he ain't got nothing, nothing more to prove. He got the headphones. His right. legacy is secure. And to think of the lineage that came right. from Dre and how his sound pretty much shaped the entire industry. Because think about it. Before The Chronic came out, West Coast Hip Hop was really getting airplay outside of the West. But once right. G-Thing and then later Snoop's Doggy Style album hit, everybody had to pay attention to the West Coast. Yep, correct. Correct. He's he's one of the greats, man, of the West Coast, for real. Right. And let's talk about Pharrell and Chad. The Neptunes right. from VA Beach, 757. All right. Yes, sir. Yeah. Let's talk about those boys. So for me, man, the Neptunes... If it wasn't correct to say Quincy is number one, I would say the Neptunes are number one in my personal book. I know that's the wrong answer for everybody to hear, but to me, the Neptunes changed my way of thinking with music, man. I mean, from them putting a maraca off beat a little bit and then putting something over it and they got the kick and the snare going and it just fits. It makes one cohesive sound. The Neptunes to me... I mean, man, from hearing the here's the funny part. I heard uh in search of 
at a at a camp. It was called 4-H camp back in the day. And I was like, this is trash. Because at this time, it's, what, 2000? I'm hearing, like, NSYNC, TLC, you know, the regular TRL stuff. And when I heard that it was so different, I'm like, I, I don't get it. Like, this is trash. It took me maybe two years to appreciate that album. Um, and now, looking back, what they did, I mean... How many number? I can't remember the number of number, mm, the number of songs they had on the billboard at one time. But I think it was 2002 to like 2004 or 2001 to 2004. All these songs were charting on the, the billboard. I mean, grinding alone. Um, That to this day, if you tell somebody rap, there's a good chance you may hear grinding. You know what I mean? Somebody gonna beat. hit that beat, right? It's the lunchroom beat. Um, they just changed my way of thinking. Not even from a music perspective, from fashion, them wearing babes, and just being authentic, like being themselves. Man, they made the people that were nerds in school, which I consider myself. I wasn't a nerd, but I wasn't a cool kid neither. I never got in trouble. Um. I was just kind of like an outcast. I had my my friends, but we weren't the coolest kids. So, you know, to me, they just changed the game, man. I mean, it's so. I mean, use your heart by SWV. They did that. That alone is like one of my favorite records. I mean, use your heart. That's crazy with the Neptunes, the work that they did. They're one of my top three producers that made me stop a tape, rewind, and say, yep. what is this? Exactly. What did I just hear? The other two producers that did that for me were Timbaland and Swiss Beats. Right. Okay. That, that made me stop a tape and be like, oh, let me hear this beat again. And, uh, it's crazy, man. I can think back to a time where um, the internet wasn't big. This is 2000s. I heard an instrumental. I'm on Ray J's website. This is when Ray J had a solo. Uh, he was doing a solo deal. And I heard this beat. I'm like, yo, what is this beat? It was on his website. It didn't have a name. I'm like, yo, this beat is so... It was just the instrumentals, no words. And I'm like, yo, this beat is crazy for his website. It was the Neptunes, wait a minute, before it, it, you know, they shot a video and everything. I mean, they were some of the producers. Everything I heard from them, I like, man. Like, to this day, um, Hit Different by SZA. That record's incredible. They just... I don't know, man. They're different. They're musical geniuses. Right. Musical geniuses. I could, I could talk in circles about them all day. <laughs> yeah, it was a magazine just recently. They did a recent article about Chad, because, you know, ever since the Neptunes kind of went dormant, Chad is very reclusive, doesn't really do interviews and everything like that. So I right. read the article and to, you know, hear that he kind of goes out at random, still plays and stares to love for music. For me, it was like, yo, these guys are really about that life. 
And and the crazy part is, man, I think they're good apart from each other. But when they get together, man, it's a whole nother level. Like, I like Pharrell by itself, but I love him that much more with Chad. Because mm-hmm. what it is is, um, Chad, well, Pharrell is the skeleton maker. He'll make the beat and it'll be something simple. And then Chad will come in there and play the horns add synths and really play over top of it. Pharrell write the song, write the lyrics. Now you got a full song. So they're just that much better together. Right. And we basically talked about my five. Let's talk about your number five, Battle Cat, who some people maybe outside of the West Coast may not have an idea of Battle Cat's discography and some of the people that he produced. So can we talk about Battle Cat? Man, um, the first record I heard from Battle Cat was um, this record by this guy named Domino called Ghetto Jam. I mean, at that time, I was four years old, and I was like, yo, this is ill. Battle Cat, to me, and I'm probably going to get some flack for this, but he was the new Dr. Dre for the West. Like, if, if you... If you look at Battle Cat, like from 93 on up, the banging on wax and all that, a lot of that was Battle Cat. Then you go on up to uh, the East Siders, keep going. What is it, Gangstered Up? All that West Coast sound that was coming out at that time was Battle Cat. Battle Cat is an incredible keyboardist, producer, songwriter. That dude is incredible. And I, I don't think that people give him enough flowers like he he is like a teddy rally for the west now we mentioned our five let's go into some producers who were unsung underrated that really didn't get enough flowers that i felt but everybody knows their stuff so i'm gonna give you some some names um prince marky d r.i.p um okay let's talk about prince marky d Man, Typical Reasons, another record that's one of my favorite records. Typical, I like the original, I think it's the original version, not the outstanding version. It's the version, uh, the original Typical Reasons. Incredible. I mean, Prince Marky D did Real Love with Mark Rooney. Like, he was incredible. I think a lot of people mess it up because when they hear Prince Marky D, they immediately associate it with the Fat Boys. But he was he was a dope producer. Dope, dope, dope producer. And if I'm not mistaken, he did some stuff with Jodeci too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, the Free album, banging. The Love Daddy album, banging album. Another person who I felt was on song, don't really. You know his name? But you necessarily don't really know him, know him because he's very in the background. And I had the rare okay. privilege to interview this man, Cal West. Okay. Cal West. When I hear Cal West, I always associate him with um, Jodeci and I'll be sure. Cal West was was dope. I mean, from the first Jodeci album um, to In Effect Mode, Cal West was dope from what I know of. I don't know much of Cal West, but. 
He got some joints. Right. I've been a fan. I'm a fan of Cal West chords. Like if you listen to I'll Be Shores, Tevi Campbell stuff, those pretty chords, like the way they come in, I mean, beautifully played chords. And there is a record by a girl group called The Girls. They were the backing vocal group that were for I'll Be Sure in the Rescue Me video, they put out a record called Love Me or Leave Me. It's just now streaming. And I mean, that album was phenomenal from top to bottom. And I felt the girls definitely should have gotten more love, more recognition. Another producer that I felt unsung, underrated. Um, I was just looking up his discography today. It's in the work that he did with Tupac and how his life was cut short I believe he passed away when he was in his late 30s, but uh, Johnny J. Johnny J. Um, I associate the record, Are You Still Down? Johnny, Johnny J was dope, man. Yeah, you're right. Johnny J, he's most known for the Tupac records. I, I can't really name anything other than Tupac that he did, but mm. the stuff that he did, Johnny J was dope. Johnny J was dope. One produ Another producer, who we all know and he's well known but I think not a lot of people give him his flowers like I think they should have just plays man that's so I battled putting him on my number five like just blaze is definitely one of my top top tier producers he changed to me listening to other producers sample he changed the way that people were sampling because people were sampling soul, but I think Rizzo was the first one to actually speed it up, but he would just blaze would speed it up to a chipmunk effect and then chop it. Um, man, I, just blaze is a whole nother level. Just blaze is another cat that I think, in his records, it's about spacing and drums. He had the hard-hitting drums with the sample, the bass going. Um, man, it's, it's so much I could talk about with Just Blaze, and he's a cool dude, too. Super cool guy. Mm -hmm. Super nerd. Um, man, I could talk about Just Blaze all day. Right. But, I mean, for instance, look at the uh, Kingdom Come record, which he did later on in life. Um he took Super Freak. The funny part is the first time I heard that was on MySpace. And I'm like, why do I know this sample? But I, I don't know it. And the whole time is Super Freak by Rick James. Man. Crazy, that's, man. That's crazy. Who who would think the sample is Super Freak? Yeah, I know. And then this last one I'm going to give, it's a collective, so to speak. I mean, they had a good run. But the content that they put out between that time period when that record label down south was popping, you know who I'm talking about. Beats by the pound. Beats by the pound, man. Shout out to KLC, the homie. Man, Beats by the pound, incredible. I mean, they changed the sound of the south records. I mean, their records, if you go back and listen to those No Limit records, they sound so hard hitting like i don't know what they did but i mean listen to down for my yeah i mean listen to that record how hard the 808 is it just punches you in the face 
Um, you listen to I'm about it. Those records just sound different. They're really thick, really hard hitting. Um, no Limit Soldiers by Master P. Beast by the Pound was different. Different. Make them say, uh. They were different. They were they were the Manny Fresh to cash money, but they were that to no limit. I mean Beast by the Pants, like I say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one we waiting on. We want a cash money, no limit versus or a tour. If it's a one time tour, one day so give us give us that and give us a hot boys reunion or something. I mean you know that's what we need that's what we want i mean you and i we grew up in the era where every dude had a crew that was called the hot boys or some variation yep. thereof but that's just how crazy new orleans had the music industry with two labels from the same city pretty much making yep. noise yeah they they changed the game man they changed the sound of music they yeah. definitely changed the sound of music you heard me so who is that one producer that made you say, oh, I didn't know this person produced this. That made you do a double take. Mm, um, I would go back to Jam and Lewis. Um, I didn't know they did. Like, I, I, when I tell you, I literally found out three years ago that they did Encore by Cheryl Lynn. That was like, wait, Jam and Lewis did that? That that really caught me off guard. So I would say Jam and Lewis. For me, it was an artist that produced, but it was kind of like on the low that you really didn't know they produced until you looked at the credits. For me, it was Heavy D. Oh, wow. Like the uh, Jay-Z record? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know Heavy and D. And the, the Beanie Seagull? Yeah, I didn't know he did that. And just recently, I didn't know he did Summer Rain for Carl Thomas. Yo, you know what? That's what I'm going to say. I found that out recently, too. I didn't know he did Summer Rain either. I was like, yo, you mean to tell me Mr. did this, you know, and, you know, Heavy D, I felt a lot of people love Heavy D, but to me, really didn't give him, you know, his props, you know, his flowers, why he was here. So RIP Heavy D, because Heavy D and the boys, I mean, they were nothing to sneeze at. Yep. He also did like Guns N' Roses off the Blueprint 2 album. He did Fiddling in the Air by um, Beanie Siegel. He did a lot of records that we didn't even know that he did. No, Heavy was dope, man. Mm. Heavy was dope. Heavy was dope. And then another producer who, in the early stages of hip-hop, really kind of melded the new style of rap and the sounds of R&B, to me, was Larry Smith. And I think he oh, yeah, gets lost sure. because, you know, so much time has passed. And, of course, Larry Smith is no longer with us. But to hear his work that he did with Run DMC and Houdini and, I mean, One Love, I mean, you could easily hear Teddy Pendergrass on that record yeah. with a Houdini rap record after the bridge. Yep. No, Larry Smith was super dope, and we don't talk about him enough. I think another person that we don't talk about enough, Jay Mace, is Chucky Booker. We yep. don't give him enough credit. Yeah, he was dope. Yeah, Chucky was a bad boy. But do you know the story behind "Spread My Wings" for Troop? Right? No, I don't. All right, so 
I interviewed Chucky, and then I confirmed this story with Ronnie, Steve, and John John when I interviewed them on several okay. occasions. But Turned Away was originally supposed to have been a true record. But what happened was Chucky told me that he played that record for Sylvia Rome, who was head of Atlantic. And she told him, nope, this record's going to your album. But it's a troop record. She's like, nope, this is your your song for your record. And when he told Troop that, he, Troop was like, man, we want a record similar to Turned Away. So yep. you get spread my and wings. If, if you listen to it, it's the pretty much the exact same chords, just different drums. It's it's really weird. Like that's pretty much the same song. Yeah, and the remix, my favorite song of all time, which was produced by Clark Kent. I mean, Clark the, Kent, the yep. go-go drums and him sampling "Don't Make Me Over" by Sybil in the dance breakdown. I mean, that record for me was just bananas. Another one, just just nuts. And I want to get into these two production camps that everybody knows. Everybody knows the records. Everybody knows who they work with. First up, okay. let's talk about. The bomb squad. Oh man, public enemy. Public enemy, uh Ice Cube. The bomb squad. Listen. So when you hear the bomb squad, I automatically associate that with samples. They had like if you go on who sampled and you look at what they sample for each song, it may be twenty records that they sampled and they had it all going on at the same time. To do that, you have to be a maniac. You something, <laughs> something has to be wrong with you to make twenty different songs come to one song and it makes sense. The Bomb Squad was incredible, incredible. I mean, what what was it? America's Most Wanted by Ice Cube. They did, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, Bomb Squad was incredible, right? Hands down, right. And um, the Hitman, the collection that was oh, over man. at Daddy's house. I mean, we go D Dot. Harv Pierre, Tony Dofat, Jack Ron Knight, Lawrence. Ron Lawrence, Easy Mo B, Mario Winans. I mean, who else was it was in um, the Hitman's camp? Am I missing? Am I missing anybody? You know what? You know who was in the Hitman originally, but he doesn't get credit for it. Bink, Bink from Virginia was in Hitman. Right, and wasn't the late Chucky Thompson in um, the Hitman camp as well? Chucky Thompson was in the original one too. Right. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that they did for all the acts that came through Bad Boy. I mean, a lot of people, I would say, don't listen to Face First Album. Listen to Face First Album. That album. Oh, yeah. No skips. Also, Stevie J was was Hitman, too, right? Stevie J, too. Yep. Right. Stevie J, then this one person. We we said Mario Winans, right? Yeah, we said Mario Winans. Okay, cool. Yeah, we said said Mario Winans. Let's talk about Devontae. Devontae Swing. Oh, man. Listen. Devontae Swing. Okay, so you know how you have thoughts or or you remember things from your childhood? I remember vividly my aunt picking me up. She had a, I think it was a Grand Prix, some type of car. We rode down to my uh, great aunt's house and she played the first Jodeci album with Stay and all that. Devonte was so ahead of the curve, man. Like those synthesizers he was playing on that record, and the crazy part is that was the first album that I remember. But I always like Diary of a Mad Band better than the first album. 
that's that's my favorite Jodeci album. Um, I think he just really shined on that record. But Devontae was just another gifted cat. Like, another gifted cat. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. The reverse collapse and... I mean, the stuff that he was doing from a producer aspect, nobody was doing it at that time. And right. then you had Casey and JoJo's strong vocals over top of the great production. Another level, man. Right. Production-wise, bad boy and eye for talent because it wasn't for Devontae. No Missy. No Timberland. No Timberland. No Genuine. No Genuine. No Player. No Tweet. No Tweet. I mean, all of them were in the basement. So Devontae, I mean, for all that alone, I mean, yep. those are there. Then, Stevie J, Steve, Stevie J came from Devontae too. Oh wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. And then Stevie J, yeah. And then I didn't realize that this producer we talked about him briefly when I had you on a while back. This was after the Rough Rider Chronicles drop. How Dane Grease. Dame Grease, Dame <laughs> DMX. I mean, you know, the stuff that Rough Riders were putting out, Dame Grease, I believe PK, Swiss, I mean, everybody that was in Rough Riders, the stuff that they were putting out, I mean, it was hard, it was aggressive, and Rough Riders, you know, was a movement, still is a movement, you know, right. RIP to the X-Man. Sure. sure. Yeah. Sure. Dame Grease was a problem. I mean, if you look at the first DMX album, it's dark and hell is hot. That's Dame Grease, man. He he gave DMX a sound. You look at Get At Me, dog. Dame Grease. Uh, Stop Being Greedy. Dame Grease. You know, he, he definitely doesn't get his flowers. Dame Grease is dope. Right. And then this one producer from the crib that one of my favorite producers and their album their first album is in my top five rap albums of all time. Their sophomore album, top 20. It took a minute for the sophomore album to grow on me, but you really have to know your stuff to really understand the sophomore album from this trio that, I, that I'm getting ready to talk about, especially this person. Let's talk about Knife Wonder. Oh, man, Knife, bro. You know what's funny being from Virginia? I, I'll never forget looking in a magazine. I can't remember which one it was. But I seen ninth, and I'm like, wait a minute. I think it said Durham. And he had on a T-shirt on his head, and it said Knife Wonder Durham, producer of Threat. And I'm like, wait, he's in Durham? And where I'm from in Virginia, that's literally a 30-minute drive. So that blew my mind alone. And the fact that he produced for Jay-Z, it just it did something for me, man. Knife Wonder is definitely a great to me he's a newer pete rock and his ear for putting together a sample and chopping it incredible man Mm -hmm. incredible the way he chopped samples and put a baseline over it knife is Mm -hmm. knife is different level man right these next two i really want to touch on first marley mall and then we're going to go with large professor okay marley mall I mean, Marley Maul did from, um, hold on, let me not say it wrong. The Juice Crew records, all the way up to Around the Way Girl. Um, it's something recent that I, 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 oh, I didn't know he did um, 
Lords of the Underground. I didn't know that was Marley Mall. Yeah, he put he put them on because you know all the Lords of the Underground went to uh, Central. I think it was I either Central, it was either Central or Shaw. They they went to school down there, and um, you know they were from Jersey. And then Marley did their production work on the Here Come the Lords album. Yeah, I I didn't know he did that. Actually, funny thing is Marley Mall. I don't know if you know this, will be in Charlotte October first. And I was supposed to do an interview with them, but I, I got some other obligations that day. But Marley is in a different league by himself, man. Super cool dude. Class bouncer. Cool dude and just another level. Right. Let's talk about Large Professor. Large Professor. I mean, for God's sakes, this this guy's responsible for Nas. <laughs> like, Nas, Large Professor, main source. Large Professor is dope. He's, uh, I don't think he gets his flowers enough either. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody kind of puts him in that boom bap category. But, I mean, just look at Live at the Barbecue, looking at the front door. Look at his career from a rapper aspect, and then he moved on to production. So, mm-hmm. no. Large right. Professor is dope. Right. One in the same um, Q-Tip and uh, J- the late Jay Dilla. Q-Tip. I mean, man, he to this day, Q-Tip has some samples that we still don't know what he used. Q-Tip was on a whole nother level. Um, I mean, from all the Tribe stuff, to him doing stuff for Mob Deep, to doing stuff for Nas. I mean, that dude, Q-Tip is, come on, man. Q-Tip is classic. And then you said who else? Jay Dilla. Dilla. Oh, man. To me, Jay Dilla is the greatest hip-hop. I'm going to put him in that bracket. Producer of all time. And you know why? Because Jay Dilla could take one sample and rearrange it and make it say what he wanted to say. I mean, that dude, he did all the stuff on a beat machine called an MPC 3000. And the limitations at that time, what he made it on was, you were kind of limited to a certain degree, but bass lines, hard-hitting drums. He never used the same... If you ever listen to a Jay Dilla song, he never used the same type of drums every time. I mean, it's rumored that he made uh, Got Till It's Gone by Janet, but they never... I think it was... If you read his book, it's it's an excerpt where he kind of... where they kind of talk about it, and um, he didn't really get credit for it. Um, but... Not only hip hop, he did R and B for D'Angelo. My God, like D'Angelo's Voodoo, which is my favorite album of all time. That whole album is basically modeled after Jay Dilla's sound. Wow, that's crazy! And the book I believe you're referring to is Dan Sharnas' uh, Dilla Time, and uh, it's available. Dilla Time, yep. It's available, so definitely check that out. I got that on standby. Um, Rick Rubin. Yep. As we all know, oh, co-founder man. of Def Jam, and we could go down the list of all the stuff Mr. Rubin has touched, not only just in hip hop, but pop and rock as well. I mean, I believe he was one of the last people to work with the late Johnny Cash before he passed. Yep. Yeah, Rick Rubin. I mean, just all you got to do is say Def Jam. Like to envision something that started out of your dorm room, and you got all these artists, and I mean, come on, man. Def Jam. Just say Def Jam alone, Rick Rubin. Mm, and this one guy <laughs> I want to touch on before we wrap, 
I would be remiss. Okay. Well, two actually. JD in Dallas, Austin. But I also want to throw in Little John as well, because a lot of people don't know Little John produced too. Right. All right. So Jermaine Dupree for me, JD was everything. When I was growing up, I was a crisscross head. So to see somebody 17, 18 years old doing records for 12 year olds, incredible. I mean, Escape, Usher, you name it. Little, you said Little John. Little John comes from JD. Um, and I had the privilege to go to the studio and meet him. Jermaine Dupree is definitely underrated. You, you know what's crazy? I appreciate JD more as a songwriter than a producer. I think his songwriting ability is where he really shines. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I think he got his start doing Silk Times Lover and then yeah, later yeah. turned that into <laughs> Criss Cross and Escape and then later Bow Wow and, you know, worked with Usher and okay. every, everything that, that came out of that. And then we mentioned Dallas Austin to work with TLC and all the he did work with madonna on the bedtime stories album i mean the highland yeah. place monsters album severely underrated if you can find that on ebay somewhere you're a lucky soul but just how how we mentioned troop earlier um on the attitude album my music and i'll always love you those were some of the earlier production credits for dallas austin this was right around when he was brought into the game by joyce Cinderella irby from climax and he did mm -hmm. hey mr dj for her and then of course as we know around 91 he did cool out harmony album for boys to men which i felt yep. is still boys to men's best album okay you know what's funny i never heard that album in its entirety the cool out harmony album never heard it in its wow. entirety <laughs> yeah it for me it's, um, it's their best work you know it's kind of almost similar to the convo we had about michael jackson off the wall and thriller i felt cool out harmony was there off the wall and two was their thriller because of the whole okay. massive pop success that two mm -hmm. brought boys to men that's a group that we don't appreciate them enough man no we don't appreciate boys to men that much it's, why, do you, it's why do you think that is I don't know. I think it's more because they crossed over to the pop field. And I think with us, we kind of look at them as like, oh, they're corny. You know what I mean? Like, but boys, the men, incredible. Still to this day, they still touring and doing shows. Boys, the men is dope. Yeah. They were dope. They still are. Yeah. And if you are able to go to Vegas, catch their residency, you will not be disappointed. And of course, the connection. Boys to Men, New Edition, you know, Michael Bivens. And then, of course, yep. they were named after Boys to Men, which was the final record on the Heartbreak album that Johnny initially didn't want to do. Yep, correct. Because he was fighting Jam and Lewis tooth and nail, like, uh, why do I got to sing this record? But Jam and Lewis had the foresight about, it. okay, look, we're trying to send a message with this album that you're no longer kids. You all are young adults. And this song is going to reflect that and that's only with your mature vocals that you can yep. bring out. And then the one remix that I think is underrated by Marley Mall that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to that he did, he did a remix for Paul Abdul for Straight Up. Oh, I never heard that. Yeah, it's, 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 on, it's on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, dope record. You know, this was right around when, of course, Virgin was trying to break Paula into Urban because Knocked Out 
was an urban minor hit that was produced by Ellie and Babyface, but then straight up really took her into the pop stratosphere. But Marley Mall did a uh, pop remix, uh, not pop remix, but a remix to Straight Up. And man, one brother from another man, I'm proud of, you know, what you do and everything that Thank you're you, doing. Man. And, you know, it's very humbling to see my friends out here eating, out here likewise. winning. Likewise. And really, likewise. really, being, really being successful. Hey, man, I'm trying to get that Patreon money. I don't know about you, but give them, give them the Patreon website again, <laughs> brother, for the people that want to get their little drinky drink on. Yeah, man. Even if you just go to it and view it, it's www.patreon.com backslash just be man, be as in boy, no DJ. Patreon.com backslash just be man, no DJ. And mm-hmm. and don't be cheap either. You know, pay the man. I mean, if you want high quality work, you, you got you got to pay because he won't do it for free. Maybe for charity. Nah, work for free. Never, never think of <laughs> judging me. Yeah, we ain't doing it for free. All for a chicken strip, two drink tickets. I mean, you, you got you got to pay. <laughs> I mean, you know some of those Jake promoters still be trying to pull that. Like, um, the door didn't sell. So what we're going to do is we're going to charge you this and maybe give you this as a makeup. No, you got to pay what you owe. But I want to know this before we wrap. Do you know sure. who did the production work on the Diplomatic Community mixtape for Dipset? I'm going to say the heat makers. I mean, that album, I mean, I could say Oh, you said the album? The album? Yeah, the Diplomatic yes, Community album. Yeah, I mean. Heat makers. Yeah, I mean, high school, I could just see all the pink, the throwbacks, the tall tees, the long white tees. And when you hear I'm ready, I mean. Oh, yeah. That's that, the heat makers. That record alone, I mean, Yo Gotti had the sample I'm ready. For a record that he did, I mean, you know, it's 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 crazy because you know when you think about Dipset and their run, I mean, their run yep. was crazy. You know, Locks run was crazy. But I could talk music with you all day. We could have you back again, all like day, we bro. always do. So you can catch this interview yep. wherever you stream and on YouTube at YouTube.com/slash Beyond the Album Cover. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big thank you to my brother, my guy. B-Man, B-Man, thank you for coming on, bro. No, thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir.